Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sims.com and host of the Internal Budget Podcast. You're listening to At The 55. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. We have a special guest on the show joining me today. He is the creator and host of the Internal Budget Podcast, your source for Ottawa Senators content. He is a writer with the Silver 7 Sens. I practiced that at least 10 times and I'm amazed I got through it correctly. A former defensive lineman with UFT, a contributor with us here at, at the 55. Go check out the article he wrote about a year and a half ago on his experience with concussions and having to hang up the cleats. It's incredible. And on top of all that, just an overall great dude, the Sudbury sports guy himself, Brandon Mackey. Mr. Mackey, what's going on, man? Hey, man. Randy Pascal is the Sudbury sports guy. Let's get that out there right away. But uh, How you doing, man? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the uh, introduction that flatters me far too much. <laughs> oh, and I was reading something in the Sudbury Star. I think you've, uh, you've earned that title, according to, uh, oh, according to Mr. Randy Pascal himself. So I don't know. Yeah, I think his column. <laughs> he's, then he's passing over the torch to you. And uh, you've no doubt been doing, uh, I don't know, what's, what's the nickname for Sudbury? Like, what do you guys call it? Nickel City. The Nickel City. You're doing the Nickel City proud down here in the big smoke. Um, so a lot of stuff I want to touch on. Obviously, uh, it'd be great to, for those who haven't read your article. It's on the, the website at the 55.ca. Um, touch on some of those uh, topics that you so beautifully wrote about. Um, and as well, just with uh, the podcast you have going on, Ottawa Senators, I uh, for those who don't know, I know nothing about hockey, but a little research this morning. uh Happily showed me that the Leafs are actually currently in first in the the Scotia North, so I'm sure you're loving everything about that. Um, <laughs> but let's start. So let's start with uh, the return to hockey for you, because obviously you're in school, you're in your last semester at U of T, and mm-hmm. uh, no doubt your extracurricular activities you do on the podcast is ramped up. So return to hockey. What's uh, what's your first impressions in early season with your Senators? I mean, it's been fun. Uh, they're hasn't been a time in the last few years where there's been so much excitement about the Ottawa Senators just because you know like for your listeners who don't know they've undergone one of the most historic blow-ups I think in all of sports they've traded every player worth a damn uh, and recouped a ton in the way of draft capital and young prospects and and now you're starting to kind of see the fruits of that labor some of those youngsters that they traded for some of those draft picks that they made have made their way to the everyday nhl lineup and they're starting to make an impact coupled with the fact that after almost 15 years they finally have new jerseys and man they are gorgeous uh, they had some of the ugliest jerseys in hockey for the longest time fans were begging for <laughs> new ones for for over well over a decade and now the new jerseys are finally here and and when you factor that in with the the fact that they didn't play a game in 310 days because they were the last nhl team to play before covid shut down them in the los angeles kings uh the excitement was at an all-time high i remember you know, obviously I can't be in the building or anything like that, but sitting on my couch, you know, perusing Twitter, watching the first game against the Leafs set to get underway. And I've, I haven't seen the fan base this excited since the team went to the Eastern conference final a few years ago. So, so it's been really cool to have hockey back, uh, obviously bearing in mind the relatively grave circumstances outside of sports. Uh, It's been good. It's been a good way. It's been a good distraction, but it's also just so good to have the sense back, man. <laughs> so no doubt, and I'm sure for many people as well. So obviously early start to the season or, or early in the season so far, the whole sort of setup they're doing with these geographical divisions, 
Um, as someone who doesn't really pay attention to hockey, this really piqued my interest because it just automatically screams, you know, there's these rivalries that exist in hockey, probably probably more so than a lot of other sports. You know, basketball, you don't really have rivalries that much. You, know, you might have had a little LeBron versus the Warriors and Curry for a little bit. But overall, people are fairly amicable. NFL, you get more maybe individual player matchups where they really go at it. And you get the divisional rivalries too. But hockey's always kind of had that 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 rivalry there, whether it's you know, Leafs-Sens, throw you know, the Canadians in the mix. But this is literally like... I don't know what the word is, but just taking all that animosity that might come up in a regular season and saying, let's crank that up to 11 early in the season so far that you guys played the Leafs twice already. And I imagine it's, I think it's eight matchups. Each team are going to go about what do, you, yeah. what do you sort of forecast for let's fast forward a couple months time in terms of whether it could this go a little sour and, or on the other hand, is there something that the NHL is going to learn from this experience that maybe they'll, incorporate into a more quote-unquote regular season in say like a year's time when hopefully the world's vaccinated things are back to the normal or whatever the new normal is yeah I I think it's fun um you know I was kind of mixed on the prospect of it a few months ago before the season started just because I'm like everyone else you know I just want things to be normal again I just wanted a normal hockey season uh well as normal as you could get under the circumstances but thus far the North division is where the Canadian teams are playing. Um, So all seven Canadian teams are playing against each other. And what's interesting too, is there's the matchups are going to be a little uneven. So for the other teams in the other divisions, they're playing uh, those divisions are eight teams apiece. So they're going to be playing each other team seven times. Whereas the senators are going to be playing Edmonton, I think nine or 10 times in Toronto. I think they have a few more games against as well. So, those rivalries are already getting cranked up. I mean, the senators are a feisty young team to begin with. They have some players who really bring it in the physical sense. Um, and you've seen it in through the first couple of games against Toronto. There are people that are saying the battle of Ontario is back. And that's not something people have been saying for almost 20 years, because it's just been that long since both teams were competitive at the same time. You had about a decade where the senators were really good and you had, a, and the Leafs were really bad. And then you've kind of flipped that switch over the past five or six years. The Leafs have been really good and the senators have been really bad. So just the animosity hasn't been there because there's been no playoff implications, but now, um, now they're going to be seeing so much of each other. I think it's going to get cranked up to 11. Like you said, uh, Ottawa's young star player, Tim Stutzla took a nasty cross check from Jake Musden on Saturday against the Leafs. And he actually missed last night's game against Winnipeg. So I would imagine there is going to be something of a response when the senators play the Leafs again. I can't imagine that that's going to, they're going to be able to swallow that pill. So yeah, it's fun. Uh, where as far as taking it into next season goes, I think the NHL is going to be eager to just to get back to normal. It's better for ticket sales that way. It's better for merchandise revenue when you're seeing, you know, more teams. Like the way the traditional NHL schedule works is you you play your divisional rivals four times and you play every other team twice. So for the Sens, you know, they're not seeing those teams like Anaheim, Los Angeles, Vegas. Um, and really any team south of the border this year. I would imagine that come October when, like you said, hopefully things are going back to normal, the NHL is going to be eager to get back to their traditional 82-game schedule. But for now, I mean, in a vacuum, this season is going to be fun just because it's something so unique and interesting. And the Canadian division, in my mind, is the most interesting one to watch for sure. So let's get on to to you a little specifically in the context of, of what you do with the Ottawa Senators 
So initially you started with your writing you did with the Silver Seven Sens, then came the Internal Budget Podcast. So a few questions in that. One, I don't know if I've ever gotten the the confirmation or just asked where the name Internal Budget came from and sort of where the sort of genesis of that idea um, began and how it how it's grown and kind of just let you talk a little about what you've seen in your what's about a year and a half now you've been doing that. The it's inter- actually it's actually one year today. My uh, goodness, we didn't yeah. even plan that. I swear to no. God. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even notice till I looked at the calendar. <laughs> well, happy birthday then. So you know the growth of internal budget this year in it, but preceding that, the writing you did with Silver Seven Sends, and just your experience kind of entering this media landscape a bit. Um, just of your own volition, perhaps a less traditional path of, you know, not going to a school to study sports media or anything like that, just kind of doing it DIY style and talking a little bit about your journey to where you are now. Yeah, well, I'll take you back a little further. Um, As you mentioned off the top of the podcast, I think it was, I think it was a little generous, but you called me a defensive lineman for the varsity (laughs) blues. Uh, I had a cup of coffee with U of T came into my first season hurt, uh, missed the whole season due to a shoulder surgery. Uh, second season and I won't give everybody the gory details because it's out there and a lot of people who are going to be listening to this know already but I had some issues with concussions Uh, I had two ones in rapid succession in my in training camp in the first couple months of my second year with U of T Uh, it got to a point where for health reasons I just couldn't in good conscience continue to play football as tough as a decision as that was to make uh, and for me, that sucked because I had defined myself as a football player for the past seven years or so of my life. And making this transition to something else entirely was was difficult. I had no idea what I was going to fill my time with, what was going to get me out of bed in the morning, so to speak. And I had been writing as a blogger for Silver 7 since the summer of 2018. And which was actually right around the time that uh, right around the time that training camp started. And basically how it happened was I had been a reader of the site for years uh, as a senator's fan. And eventually I got to a point where I saw an opening and I had been eager to be a little more engaged with the team and what have you. And uh, I'd always been found a pull for writing. I'd always done well in English classes and things of that nature. So I threw my name in the hat um, for to join as a staff writer and I was welcomed with open arms. My editor Ross at the time actually said, you know, I had seen some of the fan posts you had written for the site and I was actually hoping you would apply. So that was a huge boost of confidence. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I, that came about uh, and when I was done playing football and I had more time on my hands, I needed a distraction because I was in a lot of pain uh, mentally, physically. I was still dealing with the effects of my injuries and I just needed some, I needed an outlet. And so I started burying myself in the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I started volunteering to write more pieces. Um, For those of you who don't know how a blog works covering a specific team, it's, you have features that you write, of course, but you also, you know, you in terms of a schedule, you have people writing game recaps for that week and previews for that week and, you know, and covering different events or trades and, and whatnot. So I just decided I'm going to put my name on everything. I want to jump on everything. If there's a breaking news piece, if there's a trade, I'm going to do it. Uh, if there's a game, I'll recap it. I'm going to live tweet it and, you know, on Twitter and I'm going to just be as engaged as possible. And it was a couple months, I think, before I realized, man, I love this. I love doing this. Um, 
you know, I, I've made some mistakes. I've learned to kind of tone things down and approach it from a more journalistic standpoint rather than just with raw emotion and which has opened the door to, to building some relationships. Um, the, the team has been kind enough to let me speak to a few players here and there. Um, players themselves have been open to speaking with me for the purposes of stories and stuff. And I've been able to tell some cool stories. I've, I've really discovered that I like being a storyteller. Um, the favorite pieces I've written are the ones are features about, you know, not to get too off track, but I wrote about the relationship that Mark Borowiecki, who's now placed the Nashville Predators, has with a guy named Justin Morissette, who lives out on the West Coast and actually had his leg broken standing up to a homophobic street preacher oh, wow. back in the summer. Yeah, back in the summer, he had his leg really mangled. Um, and and Mark thought it was the coolest thing that he did that and reached out to him and the two became became friends. So so telling that, getting to tell that story, which meant a lot to me personally, was was humbling. It was humbling, but it was also just one of those things that reinforced the idea to me that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. As far as the podcast goes, uh, that's just kind of been a thing for fun. Uh, I've taken it as seriously as I can, obviously, but what I like about it is is it's me. It's not affiliated with Silver 7. Uh, Not that that would be a bad thing being affiliated with them, but but I decided this is going to be my own little baby, my passion project, and I just started it out of the blue. Um, Whereas the name came from is funny. The joke among fans of the NHL is that the Ottawa Senators have operated on an internal budget for a long time due to uh, allegations of the owner not being financially fluid. (laughs) But for me, and I was like, well, that's kind of funny. You know, I'm a (laughs) broke university student living in downtown Toronto. I'm kind of on an internal budget as well. So so as long as I'm sitting at my desk with a laptop and a $100 microphone, I, I'm on an internal budget too. So so I, I figured it was a good fit. Uh, a guy named Gatineau Greg on Twitter made the logo for me, and he's a great dude, and he you know, did it for free, which is even better. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where the journey's taken me so far. Uh, I've got, I've in a position now where not to humble brag or anything, but I let it go, let it go. Let's go. (laughs) I think this time last year I had about 490 followers on Twitter and I'm almost up to 1600 now. Good Lord. Uh, yeah, it's been fun. (laughs) Uh, and that's a credit to the Ottawa fan base. They are the best fans in hockey. Uh, they get a bad rap because of what the team has gone through and everything like that. But they are tremendous, tremendous people who care not only about their team, but about their community and being forces for positive change. A lot of them and both within hockey and within life. So it's been a good ride, man. Uh, I know I'm kind of rambling now, but I think that's the best way I can put it is it just, it became a transitional phase for me from football and it's just taken over my life in a way that, it excites me. You know, I get out of bed every day wanting to do what I do, looking for new stories to tell and new ways to be engaged with the senators and their fans. And at at this point in my life, at least I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, the obvious through line with me asking you about that, aside from just the curiosity of, you know, having you on the show and wanting you to tell everyone sort of what's good with everything in your world is of course, you know, similarly with myself and what we do with at the 55 just curious to sort of see how other people do what they do i'm curious though when you talk about how internal budget's kind of like your own passion project your baby silver seven cents a little bit more buttoned up in a sense you are working under another brand do you have like certain takes where you're like you know you mentioned kind of toning things down a little bit not being as like emotional or as as perhaps uh reactive to things but are there certain takes where you're like that that one's for the pod and this one I'll clean up and that one goes in a blog. 
You know what? Um, Silver Seven is great. My editor, uh, NKB, he is phenomenal in the sense that he just kind of lets me go do my own thing. Uh, you know, I've, I've hopefully I've earned that trust. Um, but, you know, I, I, I've tried to stay away from a lot of the kind of hot takery, as I've heard it put. There's a, there's a journalist who works in Ottawa. He's the actually now he's the athletic beat writer for the Ottawa Senators. His name is Ian Mendez, and he is of course. One, one of the most yeah right, <laughs> but one of the most respected people in the business, and deservedly so. He's a first class journalist and a first class human being, and not a lot of, not a lot of people outside of Ottawa know this, but early in the pandemic, he put on a free seminar for over Zoom for aspiring journalists and writers and content creators such as myself, uh, and. One of the things that I had struggled with was I found when I went to criticize, I would let it, I would get a little carried away with it. Um, and that was just be, you know, being caring about the fans and wanting to see them see done right by them. So I asked Ian and I said, how do you walk that line? How do you criticize without, you know, burning bridges? And the best advice he gave me, and it's simple in, in hindsight, but it's something I really tried to live, live by. And he said, criticize but don't make it personal mm. so if you want to criticize the decision you want to criticize a play on the ice fine say oh this was a bad turnover say i don't think the senator's got enough value for this trade don't say the gm sucks the player sucks this sucks nothing like that the words that constantly ring in my head and that i've i sometimes hear when i'm typing a tweet or whatever that makes me reconsider you know it's uh nothing good comes from being a jerk and it's so simple but i it really resonated with me uh, and I think, I hope anyway, that that's been reflected in my writing. So to answer your question, um, I don't, you know, if I have a take, I, I tend to say it, uh, but I tr tend to focus it through the lens of the decision and breaking it down clinically. Because at the end of the day, one thing I've learned is that these players are people and the, you know, these executives are people. And, and that's easy to forget when you're viewing things through a Twitter lens and, or through a TV screen. And I remember, you know, I mentioned Mark Borowiecki before. That's a guy who was maligned in Ottawa. He actually deleted Twitter. Um, and uh, the speculation is that it's because the fans were so hard on him for his play on the ice. Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah. And in his last season, he... <clears throat> He his play turned around. He had a career year last year, but it was the stuff off the ice that caught people's attention. He stopped a purse snatching in Vancouver by clotheslining a thief <laughs> that tried to steal a lady's purse. Uh, he was vocal in his support for initiative for vocal in his support for the LGBTQ plus community as well as Black Lives Matter. Which, if you follow the NHL at all, you know support for those issues can be hard to come by at least publicly. Uh, so I actually reached out to Mark and I said, "Hey, man." I'm one of those idiot bloggers that was way too hard on you through your years in Ottawa. And I genuinely want to apologize because you are, you know, you've proven me wrong. You've proven everybody wrong, but I was wrong to, you know, to speak about you that way without, without even knowing you. And he's, and he was great about it. He said, all oh, good, man, you know, such as Twitter and everything like that. He's like, it's easy to forget that we're people. And so that's something I've tried to carry with me. Uh, especially for these players, you know, even if they are playing poorly on the ice or anything like that, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. So, so I know that's kind of a roundabout way to answering your question, but as far as I don't really reserve anything, like what you see is what you get, but I'm also conscious of not delving into the kind of Stephen A. Smith, you know, hot, hot takery where you may kind of be losing sight of what's important. Shots yeah. fired at Stephen A. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, he does listen to at the 55. So I'm sure I'll be hearing from him. <laughs> um, so, you know, the lifespan of, uh, of 
internal budget, as you mentioned, with today being the first year anniversary, has taken place doing some really bad mental math. Like, let's say at least 80% during the pandemic. And obviously, (laughs) that's, I imagine, been a challenge and uh, a big learning curve for you. Do you think there are, or what are the things that you've experienced in trying to organize content, come up with ideas, whether it's doing interviews or the way you go about you know, looking for stories that has been influenced by the pandemic, but that when all things return to, or when this comes to pass in whatever form that is, that will stick with you of, you know, like to think there's silver linings to most things, right? That there's going to be something that you've learned in this for what you do. And it could be on the writing front too, that you'll stick, that will stick with you when this all comes to pass. I think there's been a few things. Flexibility is one of them. Um, I made a joke on the podcast actually the other day that internal budget has covered more time for when the Ottawa Senators weren't playing and <laughs> when they were playing, right? I've covered more weird pandemic nonsense than I have actual hockey. Um, so, you know, having to adjust on the fly, having to shift my focus to doing kind of weekly summaries of the Ottawa Senators hockey and things that happened, uh, I had to transition to talking about more abstract stuff, um, talking about maybe looking towards the off season, maybe looking towards what people are doing now. Uh, and that kind of segues into the next thing where I just kind of stopped being afraid of rejection. Mm. If that makes sense. I stopped worrying about what people thought and what people, um, you know, would think of me or say to me, not that anyone was negative to me in any sense of the word, everybody's been phenomenal, but you know, it can be intimidating. Like I'm, as I'm sure you're aware is when you're reaching out to a journalist or to a player or something and asking them to put themselves out there for, for your show or for your content, uh, you know, because you're putting yourself out there and you're putting yourself in what, what I guess is a position of relative vulnerability. Uh, so when I started asking these journalists, um, which is what I really focused on, I had a lot of writers and, you know, other content creators come on and I, it was just, you know, don't be afraid of no. Cause what's the worst that's going to happen. The person yeah. is going to say no. Uh, I think I maybe had one person say no the entire summer too. You know, what I learned is people are, people are willing to come on if you, if, because people like to do this kind of thing. So, uh, so people are really willing to do it. If you're, you know, obviously if you're respectful and if you're genuine and, I think that's huge. So that was big for me. Um, now I'm not afraid to reach out to people. I've reached out to NHL players, NHL executives, you know, NHL prospects. A lot have said yes and a lot have said no. Um, and it's so that's been the biggest thing is just, you know, not being afraid of what I'm going to look like if somebody says no. And the other part is just preparation. Uh, and again, that's another thing that Ian Mendez emphasized the importance of is just pages of notes he would he would tell me when you know when he was writing a show back when he was still doing radio uh he would have more things that got cut than made the show and so my goal became when i was writing a podcast i wanted to write you know whether it was two pages or whatever um I wanted to have at least half of my show written that i couldn't use because of time constraints because i wanted to have that much good quality Mm. content uh, and I've never wanted to be scrambling. And, and, and like you said, it's been a steep learning curve. There's been ups and there's been downs. There've been episodes that I, you know, would still go back and listen to and say, Hey, like I really knocked that one out of the park. And then there's other ones. that's like, I just want to delete from everything, you know? Uh, so that's been the biggest thing. It's just learning how to adjust and 
just being comfortable with putting yourself out there. And, you know, if there's any aspiring content creators listening to this, I think, you know, not that I'm the example to, to aspire to, but I think that's just the biggest, the best advice I can give is don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Yeah. If you're genuine and if your heart is in the right place, people will come. No, oh, yeah, for sure. No, for the kids out there, just shoot your shot. That's, that's, that's the lesson right Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, a little just segue on, on something you'd mentioned in there. I'm fortunate in the position I'm at with at the 55, having Dakota handle the social media crap. Cause I get to brainstorm all the fun ideas we do top 100 list hometown heroes he puts it together you know for those listening anything on social media those graphics that's his hard work that's where he shines i don't ever want credit going to me for any of those beautiful things that he puts up in those posts as a result though all the flack that will fly into the dms he's the one dealing with it so i'm very thankful in the position that i'm in where not only does he do a better job of dealing with the social media and the graphic design than i ever could but then i also don't have to deal with the vitriol and particularly relating back to the top 100 list we did there was vitriol <laughs> in spades um and as a quick other side part of the reason dakota's not here him being a lifelong Leafs fan i was afraid that you two being in the same room together virtual <laughs> or otherwise one or both of you may have burst into flames. I don't know. Figured well, there's, it's, there's enough health well, it's, risks going on right now. I didn't want to risk another one, spontaneous combustion or nothing. It's good that he has so much on his plate with the graphics and the social media and everything because it gives him time to not do his or not put his awful sports takes out there. Oh boy. I mean, like this guy's, his hockey takes, his football takes, I just can't escape them. Like it's all over my Twitter feed. So I'm glad he's, I'm glad he's so preoccupied because I can't imagine how much more he would actually be putting out there. Yeah, no, he, he is someone where I will get a message every now and then being like, I'm not tweeting this, but I need someone to see it. <laughs> and it's kind of like the, the even deeper recesses of his, of his social media mind. But, you know, let's, let's move real quick. Um, Another team that uh, you are fanatic for that is in the news, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, baby. NFC Championship. But, you know, Mr. Aaron Rodgers across the field from, uh, you know, your boys, that, that's got to make you nervous. How are you feeling about going into this weekend? 3.05 Sunday afternoon. You know, I was more worried about the Saints than I was the Packers. I'm not going to lie to you. Garbage. That's a garbage uh, take. All right, why? All right, explain. All right, I'll, I'm sorry. Let me hear it. Because the Saints, the Saints have been Tampa Bay's kryptonite all year. Uh, you know, they, they beat them in game one and then they embarrassed them on Sunday night football. They beat them 38 to three um, in one of the worst football games I have ever watched. Uh, and but well, it was Tampa past Bay, it was past Tom Brady's bedtime, though. Apparently. Yeah. But uh, but Tampa Bay smacked the Green Bay Packers earlier yeah. in the season. And I'm not, you know, using that as a reason to say I think the Bucs are going to win because obviously, you know, as better as much better as the as the Bucs are now. Uh, you can say the same, if not more, about the Packers. They are a much, much better team than they were, you know, 10 weeks ago. Uh, but for me, the Saints have just been that team that Tampa cannot get by. They yeah. had never beaten them in Bruce Arians' tenure as the head coach. They had never beaten New Orleans. Uh, and I had a feeling, I'm not going to, I'm going to sound like a bit of an idiot here, but I had a feeling going into this Sunday. I just, I remember I woke up on game day and I turned to my girlfriend and I'm like, you know what? I feel good. <laughs> She's kind of looking at me as like, okay, like, but, uh, but yeah, I'm like, I felt good. I felt good about Tampa Bay's chances. Uh, and that was 
some of the most fun I've had watching a football game in my life. Uh, I was stressed and miserable the whole time. Uh, this is my first real experience with the Bucks being in the playoffs because it's been 13 years since they've been in the playoffs. Uh, and it sucked, but it was also a lot of fun. Um, and when Devin White picked off Drew Brees to seal that Nasty game, stiff I arm. freaked out. I'm not going to lie. I jumped across my living room like a child. I was absolutely <laughs> losing it. Uh, I think that that'll go down as like a top three sports memory for me was Devin white picking off breeze to seal that game. But um, as far as the Packers go, I think Tampa is going to be okay. Um, I'm feeling really good about their chances going forward. The defense is peaking at the right time. They exceeded my expectations mm-hmm. in that new Orleans game. They were the one thing I was worried about and they showed up in spades. The secondary was dominant. Uh, they generated, what was it? Four turnovers. Like it was yeah. ridiculous the way they played. So Special teams could tighten it up a bit. Special teams could tighten it up a bit. (laughs) Yeah, those punt returns were starting to get on my nerves a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's the Packers, it's Lambeau, it's Mm going to be in the snow, and it's Rodgers. So, you you know, you're never going to feel particularly good about that matchup. But I think I feel as good as I can be. I think... I think the Bucs are the team to beat in the NFC right now, and they might even be the team to beat in the league. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks of football. I'll say that much. Well, I mean, it, it sucks just to think there's only three more NFL games until there's nothing left. Um, the days are long, but the years are short. Oh, boy, aren't they ever. You know, and for the record, for those listening, you aren't a new Bucks fan. You aren't because I imagine there's a lot of people that bought 12 Buccaneers jerseys this year and, you know, want to pretend like, you know, they've been lifers. I'm no, curious, man. though, because as a Raptors fan who reveled in them wearing the 19 championship largely on the back of Kawhi and while we didn't know it at the time, there was a lot of thinking that as it did play out, it would be a sort of one year hired assassin type role. Now, obviously, Brady's not this isn't a one off for him. He's not taken no. off to L.A. like Kawhi did. But is there any feeling of, you know, there's always that feeling of when it's homegrown talent, a guy you drafted building up the team. And obviously you have a lot of those pieces on other aspects of the team. But is there any feeling about like. You know, last year this team wasn't in the NFC Championship. They bring in Brady. They're obviously playing much better. Any weird feelings about that at all that you bring in, the, you know, the GOAT? No? None. Just None. riding high? No. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, I Last spring, you got to take into consideration, they were a 7-9 team last year. Uh, Jameis Winston threw 30 interceptions. If he doesn't, if he throws 10 or even 15 interceptions, they're probably in the playoffs last year. Uh, so quarterback has been such a bugaboo for this team for such a long time. They've never had a superstar homegrown quarterback. Ivan and you're, yeah, you're right. Uh, I was a casual football fan up until I started playing the sport at the beginning of high school. And then I really started getting into it. And I was a casual Bucks fan, you know, um, cause I liked the pirate thing as a kid, but, <laughs> but uh, for some reason I stayed with it. Cause around the time that I started getting really into football as a fan was when they drafted Jameis Winston first overall, um, so I've endured those years, man. I, I, I endured the last year of Mike Glennon and I've endured, I endured the five years of Jameis Winston and it was tough seeing last year you had a defense that was, if not championship caliber, then they were playoff caliber, uh, especially down the stretch. You had an offensive line that went from one of the worst units in the league at the beginning of the year to one of the best units in the league by the end of the year. You had a good young running back in Ronald Jones. You have Devin White and Levante David at linebacker. Levante David's a guy who's been in the NFL for eight years, and this yeah. is his first time in the playoffs, you know? So for me, 
uh, when they when the rumors started coming out about signing Tom Brady, I was not a Tom Brady fan at all. Um, but having the prospect of having the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of football on my team changed my mind a little bit. I actually tweeted, I said, if the Bucks sign Tom Brady, I will immediately do, delete all my hate tweets. I will worship at his altar. I might even buy his book, and I'm not sorry. I will not apologize for any of it. You're on the TB12 uh, now? Yeah, I should have been. Maybe I, my football career might have been a bit longer. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so no. So when they signed Brady, there was a different feeling around the team. There was a really different feeling around when they hired Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles, and they brought in this coaching staff that had this pedigree. Um, and it felt like Jameis was the one thing that ho- was holding them back. Uh, so when they signed Brady, you could see it, even in the media that the players were doing in the offseason stuff, the culture shifted around that team. Um, they went from a team that didn't have an identity to a team that knew who they were and that were ready to compete. And they walked into New Orleans last weekend against a team who flat out embarrassed them, who handed them what may have been the worst loss in franchise history, um, danced in their locker room, made a big thing about it, kings of the NFC South and all that and whatever. Uh, And they punched New Orleans in the mouth and they retired Drew Brees. Like, (laughs) that's a big thing, man. Like, as I'm sure you know, you played the game. Like, the momentum that something like that, a win like that would generate. You know what I mean? Like, it's reminiscent of when the Bucs in 2002 won the Super Bowl. They went into Philadelphia for the NFC Championship game uh, against a team that, had again, had their number, always beat them. Whether it was playoffs or regular season, they could not beat Philadelphia. And it was the last game at Veterans Stadium, and there was this big celebration fan, celebration plan, sorry. And the Bucs went in, and they won, and they shut down vet. They shut down the vet. There's this iconic video of Keyshawn Johnson at the end of the game yelling at the, yelling at the fans, we shut it down, no more vet. <laughs> You know, like, and it's, it was that same kind of atmosphere. You know, I respect the hell out of Drew Brees, but I hate the New Orleans Saints. So, so, so retiring him was, that's a big moment, man. So, so no, to answer your question, I, I have no qualms about needing Tom Brady to get over the hump. Like if they win the Super Bowl, that's, that's all that matters to me. So I don't care how they do it. No fans, whatever. I'm just going to be psyched. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. And for the record, how old were you in 02 when they won their last Super Bowl? Four. That four. Okay. Wow. Um <laughs> turning turning four. Not even not even fully four yet. Unless it, no, they won it in the oh three. So I don't know. Somewhere yeah. in that ballpark. Yeah. So we covered NFL. We've covered some NHL. So pretty good uh for an OUA podcast, I'd say. That's yeah. a pretty good wrap up. I mean, last thing I guess I'll I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about UFT. Uh you kind of brushed aside my uh, adulation of you being defensive lineman for UFT, but you still bleed blue. You still support the boys. Uh, yes. You know, what was, uh, what was that like for you getting to, you know, hell of a start going back to 2019. It's sucks that we have to go so far back to think of the last time there was OEA football, but mm-hmm. it came out guns a blazing clay killer clay back there. Number six playing for the six, just slinging it out to all the boys. Um, you know, what type of what did that feel for you as someone who was part of that program for whatever time you were or otherwise and someone who's still been at the school, sports fan, football guy um, that seeing that, oh, you know what? There is some promise with this program. When I was signed to U of T, um, you know, I was a guy from Sudbury. I was a lanky white kid. Didn't have a ton of offers. I had some interest, but they were the first one to put an offer on the table and they told me, like, you know, we want you. Like, we want you to be a part of what we're doing here. And I always felt 
uh, a sense of obligation to them for that because they believed in me. Um, so that was one of the things that really hurt when I had to shut it down health wise is that I couldn't fulfill my promise of helping to build a contending team. Um, you know, whether I would have been able to, whether I would have even seen the field or not is a different question. Obviously we will never know, but, um, but that sucked. I felt like I had failed in that regard. Um, and one of the things that will always stick out to me uh, was when I actually did retire um, and I shook the hands of Joe Capiello, Cappy, the D-line coach and Greg Marshall, um, you know, they both made it clear that, you know, I still had a family there and, you know, if I ever needed anything, they had me. So I started working at varsity stadium just as a part-time job and I would see them all the time and, you know, they would come down and, you know, we would just, you know, shoot the breeze and talk, talk football, talk recruiting. I would pump some of the kids that I had been coaching to them and a couple of them actually ended up there. So that was pretty cool. But, but regardless of that, um, you know, that's, that just makes me root for those guys even more. I remember, and you know, I don't think I've ever told this story publicly before. So you're getting a, so you're getting a we got breaking here. news. I love it. Yeah. This will be one for the Instagram page or whatever, but, uh, but I remember um, it was around Christmas time. It was just after I had left the team and my girlfriend and I were at the Eaton center um, doing some, you know, doing some shopping, doing some perusing and doing what folks do. Yeah, exactly. What folks did pre COVID <laughs> and up ahead of me, I see somebody kind of looking at me and I look and it's Will Corby. Uh, and, you know, so this is the first time I had seen him since I left the team, which, so it had been a couple months and, you know, we do the whole, you know, bro hug and everything. And, you know, we're, we're talking and he looks at me and looks me in the eyes and genuinely goes, Hey man, how you doing? You know, like, how you doing? Um, and for me, that meant the world uh, as a guy. I was really struggling mentally at that time, man. Like I was physically, my symptoms were still horrific. It was tough to even, you know, live a normal life at that point. Uh, and I was still really hurting with the fact that I wasn't a football player anymore. So that guy, you know, being who he is, you know, Corbo and I, you know, we would, you know, we would see each other when the team went out and stuff like that. But we never really hung out, you know, the two of us or in the same groups or whatever. So, so for a guy like that to, you know, kind of be like, take the time to say, hey, how are you doing? That, that meant a lot. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, to see them get off the start, they did. Clay is a great guy. Um, every one of those guys are amazing. Whenever I, you know, whenever I see them, it's, it's, it's just, it's just good to see, you know, it's like your long lost brother and stuff like that. Uh, so it's, it's fun. I was really psyched for them when they beat Laurie. I was watching from my couch and I jumped off the couch when Nolan Lovegrove caught that last touchdown. Another great guy. I can't say enough about the team. I, I can't say enough about the program. Uh, I felt horrible for them this year because I know they were going to have a fantastic season. Um, that they had been building towards this year and the next couple of years as the years for their for the prime with this core and a lot of those guys were guys that I came into the system with right so so yeah um, I was gutted for them but they're on to great things I mean there's not a better player in the OUA than Clay Sakara you can't you can't convince me otherwise of that um, what he brings to the table athletically what he brings with his arm and what he brings as a leadership capacity I, I speak from experience there's not a guy in that room who wouldn't run through a wall for clay um, you know so so that's the thing um, the team is going to be really good for the next few years um, but as far as you know whatever happens football I'll be rooting for those dudes no matter what you have a couple of them who I think are you know shoe into the CFL 
Um, Malcolm Campbell is another guy, a phenomenal human being who personally helped me out a lot, coaching me up even just on the field. Um, ended up with Hamilton last year. So I love those guys to death. I love that program. I will always be bleeding blue, and I am really excited to see them get back on the field this fall and see them make some noise because I fully believe that they're going to. 100%. Well, we're all excited to see them get back out on the field. You know, shout out to Will Corby. Uh, great story you told there. World-class dude. Uh, just don't call him Doug uh, is the only rule I've learned about him. Otherwise, it's all uh, all good with him. Uh, Brandon, did they, tell yeah. you, did they tell you about when Marshall did it? Probably, but let's hear it again. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, when you're no, doing no. Your sign off there. So, um, man, this is one of my few memories actually from being on the field for practice. Uh, I think it might have been even the indoor sessions. I think it was. It was one of Marshall's first few months at U of T, and you're still learning everybody's names. So you know you got to kind of cut him a break there. And comparisons to Doug Corby are not a bad thing. No, by sir. Any yeah. But but uh, I think we were doing a special teams drill. Oh, no, we were doing defensive install and Corbo's, you know, ran a route. And I think one of our linebackers picked him up. And uh, I, I'm not sure who it was, but if you know Corby, you know, a linebacker is going to have a hard time covering him yeah. down the middle. Yeah. Uh, so Marshall gets pissed off and uh, he's like, he's like, hey, like, what are we doing here? And he goes, do you think I want you covering Doug Corby? And Marshall's a scary guy when he's angry. <laughs> So everybody's, you know, and we had just come off, you know, this is our first experiences with him. And he goes, do you think I want you covering Doug Corby? And everybody kind of softens up a look at him. He goes, sorry, Will Corby. And even he starts laughing, right? So it was one of those few moments of levity. And you look at Will shaking his head. Yeah. And I walk, by, I walk by him. I go, what's up, Doug? And he's like, he's like, he just looks at me and he goes, straight face goes, so disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> oh man something about coaches named greg marshall just can scare the living crap out of you apparently um, runs in the name man. yeah exactly all right mr brand Mackey, uh where can people find all your content where can people find you online yeah you can find me at silver seven sends.com that's where my writing is i also have a Substack where i'm doing some more general writing it's just mackie.substack.com it's an email newsletter subscribe it's free i'm not going to take any of your money it's not my content is not worth that uh the podcast is internal budget and you can find my incoherent ramblings on twitter at brandon Mackie underscore beautiful all right my friend well it's so great seeing your beautiful face again um, likewise let's uh you know once there's some more football or some no new, new news on that front uh you know let's hook up again and uh talk about the news of the day good luck to your bucks sir Anything, man. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. It's been good to talk to you again. Good to talk some football. Anytime you want to have me on, I'm more than happy to do it. Appreciate you. All right, man. Talk to you soon, eh?